Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. The world is listening. 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 John Ware is the BBC Panorama documentary maker who took on the Corbynites and won. His 2019 documentary, Is Labour Anti-Semitic?, aired on BBC One, launched three long years of bitter legal struggle. It's unusual for a journalist to sue for defamation, but everything was at stake for John, from his own reputation to the pursuit of journalistic process. So John sued the Labour Party, Jewish Voice for Labour, and even a fellow journalist, Paddy French, and with great fortitude and resilience, won through. Paddy French suggested the fact that um, my wife and children, who happen to be Jewish, might have been a breach of the BBC impartiality guidelines. I don't know how he worked that out, but that was the suggestion he made. I think um, that's probably one of the most disgusting slurs there could be. Well, certainly the judge, Justice Knowles, I think he said something like, I find this particularly distasteful. Yes. And I'm glad he did make the point, because it is. Uh, and he said uh, no credible or reputable journalist could possibly have thought that you know, my family's faith had any relevance to the uh, Distasteful is the word. Yeah. It's not entirely over. John needs to collect the damages from those who defamed him, and Al Jazeera produced what he sees as a one-sided segment in a documentary on Corbyn's labour years which vilifies a young man by the name of Luke Stanger. Selective journalism. Journalism. We'll highlight that in this episode too. He's not earned a penny for 12 months. Defamation is a harrowing weight on one's mind. Not to mention the headspace one needs to keep up with the news as a working journalist. But he's back on the saddle and preparing to make another panorama documentary on... Brexit. Find out how much the legal process cost those who defamed him and who they were. John Ware, for the second time, welcome to Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Good to be here, Johnny. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome you back, especially in the heightened time of our first interview. My first question to you back then was, how do you feel? You said, I'm confident, mm. and your confidence was vindicated. I fought three cases. Three defamation cases. It's unusual for a journalist to do that, but um, the defamation was so serious and there was a principle at stake and uh, I wasn't going to back down and uh, and I, yeah, and I won all three. So I'm, I'm still full of feathers. Excellent. Now, mm. this is, as you say, it's unusual for a, a journalist to sue for defamation, but this was everything. This was reputation... But this was about mainstream journalism. This was about rigorous pursuit of journalism for its purpose. So in suing the Labour Party, in suing Jewish Voice for Labour, and a fellow journalist called Paddy French, mm. 
this the stakes really were were they the biggest in your life in your career um i, I don't know about that I, certainly uh, the, the longest spell of litigation that i've been involved in i mean it spanned pretty much three years and dominated it has dominated my life i can honestly say i haven't earned a penny uh <laughs> since last january about 12 months now um, because um, you know litigation, it, it, it's it's uh, seamless, and um, you know lawyers are very creative people. And you start out thinking, how can I lose? Um, what the Labour Party said is not true that I'd set out to deceive. It's never crossed my mind to deceive anyone in journalism. I'm not in the propaganda business. It offends every bone in my body. The JVL said, uh, you know, that I had a long record of racism, Islamophobia, and that I was engaged in the far right. Categorically untrue. Mm. I've made programs against the far right. Mm. And this fellow, Paddy French, said that I had actually set out uh, to uh, help stop Corbyn becoming Prime Minister. That was my motive. Well, I'm actually not displeased that Prime, Mr Corbyn is not Prime Minister. I'm pretty displeased that John Johnson was Prime Minister as well, as it happened. Um, Perfect balance. Uh, no, but it's true. I mean, it, the idea that I, that was my motive is just, yeah. I mean, preposterous. Mm-hmm. We had a story, you know. We had a story. Uh, it was nothing to do with uh, fixing elections. The BBC doesn't do that stuff. So, you know, there was a principle at stake, but it wasn't just that. It was the, the, the underbelly of this was, you know, demeaning uh, genuine anxieties within the Jewish community, belittling their concerns. It was all part and parcel of that. And particularly with the French case, I know what was going on with French and his supporters. It was to use the courts to fight refight all the complaints that have been made about the programme in in the hope of rehabilitating Mr Corbyn's reputation. And that was really what what it was about. And let's just explain Paddy French. He is the pro-Corbyn publisher of a website called Press Gang, Mm. exposing what he calls rogue journalism. And French launched a defamatory campaign exposing your dirty tricks to deliberately deceive millions of viewers by knowingly exaggerating the scale of anti-Semitism in Labour under Jeremy Corbyn. Some of the quotes, mm. this is the sort of chat we're talking about, where is a rogue scumbag who, along with Zionist, anti-socialist interlopers in Labour, need exposing for the frauds that they are. It's The programme is Labour anti-Semitic, was disgraceful, scurrilous, black propaganda, bad use of the word there, mm. and the national broadcast of the BBC who put it to air should have also been sued. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. I don't really want to read all of this, but you get the impression, yeah. dear listener. I, I Just in fairness, uh, French didn't use all of those words. Those were the, the sort of adjectives that donors to his campaign I see. used, to be, to be fair to, to French, although French did use ludicrous language. I mean, he, you know, he said that I'd uh, bent the truth to breaking point and that mm. sort of stuff, but mm. he didn't use any of that sort of foul language. Actually, that was pretty tame. There's a lot worse than that. Well, I could read more, but I, I want people to keep listening. Yeah. Now, also, you went for Jewish Voice for Labour, which is a bunch of people who I was exposed to at Parliament Square. I just happened to be 
at the back of the protest and mm. and they were deliberately agitating uh, Jewish people and it was one of the most depressing standoffs it wasn't violent it was just mm. horrible shouting of words really really disgusting discourse on the streets of London in front of the parliament and Naomi Wimborne Idrissi told 1.4 million BBC listeners that your journalism included right-wing racist work and that you'd engaged in Islamophobia, extreme mm. far-right politics as a consequence of which the BBC had had to apologise for your conduct. There really is only one way that you could take this. Mm. I mean, there wasn't a word of truth in any of that, as um, uh, ultimately uh, Jewish Voice for Labour had to concede and made a formal apology in court. But you see... Um, at the heart of this, Johnny, is this... I think a lot of these people do see themselves as incredibly kind of progressive, sort of brimful of moral rectitude. And I, I, this is how I see their reflex to anyone who challenges their political orthodoxy. Because the reflex, certainly in each of these cases was to just n not play the ball, but play the man and impugn malign motives. You know, I disagree with this, therefore he must have set out to deceive. He must be lying. Mm. It couldn't just be, I fundamentally disagree with the arguments you presented. I think they're rotten. I think they're, you know, whatever. But they go almost as a reflex, mm. that extra stage, by impugning motive. And that and, and here's the point. All of them, the people who put out the Labour Party statement saying that I'd invented quotes and all that, uh, Wimborne Adrisi herself said, so she said, uh, was an experienced journalist before she became active in the JVL. She said she wrote, voted, worked for Reuters, apparently. And then, you know, there's Paddy French who describes himself as a very uh, experienced uh, investigative journalist. They're all journalists. The most basic rule, or at least the most basic rule <laughs> I learned in journalism, mainstream journalism, is that you simply don't get into people's motives, what's in their heads, unless you can prove it. Mm. I just, you know, I, and so much, I've had so much of this stuff on social media ever since I've been making programs about uh, extremism of one sort or another. Yeah. And I just thought, well, I'm not having this anymore. John, as we know, the cost of justice, the cost of litigation is extremely severe. How much are the Corbynites down and how many cases have there been? Well, the Corbynites uh, are down, by my estimation, um, uh, approaching £6 million pounds in wow. legal costs and awards, um, give or take. That's my estimate. Um, so far of uh, what I count as having lost 17 out of 23 cases, the, the majority of them, the vast majority of them, relating to defamation and anti-Semitism related. And there are still a number of cases yet to be resolved. So it will not surprise me if the final bill, of course, wait to see who wins these outstanding cases, but if the trend continues, uh, it, it, you know, Corbynites are going to, find themselves severely out of pocket. A lot of this relates to social media. And as Mark Lewis, who acted for me, 
quite rightly says people need to wake up. Uh, Social media has, as he put it, made everybody a publisher unhampered by the shackles of an editor. And he's quite right. Just because you tweet doesn't in some way absolve you of, relieve you of your obligations, you know, any, any breaches of the defamation laws. Tweeting is like publishing a book or a newspaper. And people need to get wise to this. Uh, uh, and it would be, I think, a healthy thing if everybody could think before they tweet. Mm. It's been a very costly, um, you know, the, the Corbyn era, era has been extremely costly in, in litigation alone. Are you playing catch-up with Johnny Gould's Jewish state? I've had the pleasure of some really great guests recently. Here's Jonathan Friedland on The Escape Artist, the life story of Rudolf Ferber, who as a young man escaped Auschwitz. He pointed an accusing finger at people who I think we all would rather were not part of the accused. So I think there is a comfortable way of telling the Second World War story, which is all evil resided in Nazi Germany and Adolf Hitler and the Germans and the Nazis, and everyone else was on the side of good, you know, meaning the Allies, the United States, Britain, everybody else. Now, that's not true. It's more complicated. It can't be. It can't. And Hillel Neuer, whose UN Watch keeps check on the excesses and mission creep of the UN human rights in Geneva. The challenges are great. They're not going away. I am concerned by the cultural revolution that we've experienced in America in the past five years, the known to some as the woke revolution, where there's a kind of a McCarthyism. If you say something, it could be cancelled and fired from your university, from your corporation, uh, from uh, journalists. And often it's uh, it's an anti-liberalism. So that, that to be honest, really, really scares me because we need our democracies to be healthy, to be honest, to be, to be truth-tellers. And so I am deeply concerned. If you like Johnny's regular podcasts, think about making a donation at either patreon.com slash Johnny Gould or buy him a coffee. He loves coffee. ko-fi.com slash Johnny Gould. Touched on the fault mm. line of progressive ideas, mm. and that is that the pursuit of something perfect makes that person absolute in their view. So that anyone who takes on any aspect of that so so-called progressive nature yeah. must be nefarious. Yeah. And therein lies the fault line with extreme progressive politics. Well, you know. These were people, I think, determined to destroy my reputation, but also, um, and really more importantly, in in dismissing the programme's message that a serious anti-Semitism problem had developed within Labour under Corbyn, um, it also had the effect of belittling and demeaning many Jews within the party and making them feel unwanted, because the crisis wasn't just about classic examples of anti-Semitism, you know, the sort of gratuitously offensive stuff like, you know, Rothschilds run the world, Israel controls British political parties and other sort of idiotic, you know, conspiracy theories like that. More widely, it was about the way many Jews in 
or Jews in some Labour Party branches and CLPs had become discomforted, anxious even, about a sense of being barely tolerated unless they demonstrated themselves to be anti-Zionists. So there was, there was indeed a, a, a mood created in the party as, uh, you know, Len McCluskey once remarked, though, although what he meant was, uh, you know, he used it to play down the idea of a crisis. What I mean is that it was not a very nice mood that was developing in parts of the party. You know, a party that otherwise asserts anti-racism at its core. And yet, while asserting that I had deliberately exaggerated the scale of the problem, some of my fiercest critics postured as the sort of high priests of proper, decent journalism. Um, But when I actually looked at some of the arguments they used and some of the evidence they cited in support of their case that anti-Semitism had been exaggerated and, for example, there'd been little or no interference by Corbyn and his office in, um, you know, in disciplinary cases. In my view, their journalism was at times really lacking in integrity. Some of it was just awful. And, you know, it felt like a concerted attempt to rewrite history about the Corbyn years. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Now, I've seen you a few times in the intervening years, and you'd won some cases, and I thought that might be the end of it, that you could pursue life afterwards. But actually, then came Paddy French, and that was the most stressful the most difficult one, wasn't it? The last one. Yes, I think it was. Um, yes, it was really because uh, I mean the JVL was frustrating because um, you know for a while they insisted that I had you know that I was a racist and I was you know and the BBC had apologised and all that and eventually they realised that actually they couldn't prove that so they tried a whole lot of other mm. uh, defences as I say the, the lawyers can be very creative. But eventually, they just said, "Look, can we can we can we settle this?" And, and being a reasonable person, I said, "Okay," and we did. French, you're right, was was more stressful. What I and my lawyers felt were was overwhelming evidence. He just kept batting on, and I think it was uh, I think it was. And he said, "You know, we need a trial. We need to settle these issues in the forensic setting of a court." And I. My response was, sure, well, that's exactly what I want. But you're going to lose, I think. And if you're sensible, you'll settle. I don't actually want a lot of money from you, whatever the initial claim is. I just, what I really do want is a proper apology. Um, And, um, you know, he just wouldn't do it. And uh, eventually he had to concede that he, like the JBL, he couldn't actually prove what he had said um, his truth defence collapsed and his lawyers got in touch with mine and said okay we, we can't prove this but we're going to continue 
on other defences, in his case, public public interest. Um, and we said, well, if that's what you want to do, okay, but we're going to fight that too. And on and on and on it went um, uh, until right at the last moment, he basically bottled it and said, well, I'm not going to come to court. I can't actually, I've been deprived of, of the right to, of the, of the means with which to defend myself properly, which is just preposterous. And the judge made it clear it was a ludicrous response and I think uh, shamed French. I think he emerges from this as a diminished individual um, who um, was frankly rather cowardly. You haven't worked for 12 months either. I mean, and apart from anything, this doesn't just focus your mind on the case. This affects your whole life. Mm. How's life been in the goldfish bowl? Well, it has, you know, it's litigation, isn't it? It's, you know, it's not for the faint-hearted. It's in um, your head all the time. Absolutely, it's in your head all the time. And no detail is too small. You know, lawyers grind exceeding small. One of the ways in which I think French and his lawyers, Bindman's, trying to do grind me down was that they sent me something called um, a Part 18 request, which in old money used to be called better and further particulars and uh, there were something like 87 questions Mm. and these weren't sort of what were you wearing when you filmed it was set out you know things like set out what you intended to do set out who did what what conclusions you draw drew why you drew them what you you know and so on it was intended to just make me feel look I I can't be going on with this But instead, I thought, well, okay, if that's what you want to do, you'll get the answers. And I sent back something like 170 pages, um, answering every question. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to let them demoralise me. Um, and 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 uh, anyway, as I that's say, we thing. prevailed. That's the, that is the hidden um, subtext to these fights: mm. the attempt to grind you down and yeah. present weakness. And all you have to do is just to keep going. I understand that when you're on the. Well, it costs money too. It costs of money, of course, too. Big, a lot of money. A lot of money, Huge and money. Uh, you, you funded yourself, not the BBC. Absolutely not the BBC. I mean, there's all these myths that the BBC funded me. They did not. Um, that I'm in some way uh, that I'm uh, that I own the Jewish Chronicle because I was briefly part of the consortium to stop it going into liquidation. Uh, that I you I mean, don't own the Jewish Chronicle. I do not own the Jewish you Chronicle. You don't own this podcast. I do not own this podcast. I have never had any <laughs> financial or managerial role in the Jewish Chronicle ever. Uh, there are just so many nonsenses. They'll, they, they'll say anything, won't they? You just can't deal with them all. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, and the BBC didn't fund me. I was on a uh, an insurance deal uh, if I lost, but it's not quite as simple as that. No. Uh, believe me, this has cost me quite a lot of money out of my own pocket and certainly I am potentially liable for several hundred thousand pounds uh, if we don't recover them from Paddy French. So you, you have been awarded damages though, significant I've been damages. awarded damages but that, you know, being awarded them and actually getting them are two quite different things. How can you uh, secure them well, and I, how much I, are there's they? There's no guarantee I will. I mean yeah. this is the risk I took. I mean people kept saying you know, ah, you know where's funded, where's yeah. got this, I don't know what they're talking about. So how does this get been a, someone? This like, has been a very significant risk yeah. for me. I'm not a rich man. You don't get rich working at the BBC, I can tell you. 
So, how apart from if you can, Gary Lineker, of course. Right. Um, But um, him. Um, So, uh, what way can you get the award out of someone like Paddy French? Have you got? Can you put a charge on his house? How does it work? Well, we're we're getting a cost order. Yes, I'm pretty confident the judge will order it. Will will deliver a cost order. The court will, and uh, you know he'll be required to um, start paying. My legal costs. Mm-hmm. Now, he will, I'm sure, say he hasn't got the money. He's already said that. Um, uh, um, we'll, see, we'll see where we go. Yeah. So this is not over, uh, you know? It's, this is not over. And if there's a big shortfall um, between what we recover from him and my costs, then, you know, I'm going to have to find the money from somewhere. So, you know, this has not been easy. On the positive side... Yeah. You have been fully vindicated. Mm. Your journalistic career is well, back not on in track. the eyes of the Corbynites, uh, Johnny. They, yeah, but they, you know, they, nothing. You know, they're, they're like sort of Daleks. They just keep, you, okay, they keep speaking. on at it, but they they have been legally vanquished. Yeah, um, how's work? What next for John? Ware? Well, I, well I, I haven't done any work apart from. No, but now, um, now you're clear to do it. Well, I'm. I'm the, well, I, I I'm pleased to say the BBC. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, asked me if I'd like to do something on Brexit, and as it happens, I really would like to do something on Brexit. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to start a, a panorama on Brexit uh, shortly. Um, it certainly won't. Um, the remuneration, I can tell you, <laughs> yeah. will pay a fraction of my legal costs, but yeah. still, it's better than nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's important that you get back on the saddle. Yeah, no, I. I, I as I, as look, important I, as anything. Actually. Sure. No, look, I've been down this foxhole for. Too long, and you know it's not a healthy place because you know you can't you can't miss anything. And I've had to keep abreast of quite a lot of the social media, which is horrible. Mm. It's a sewer. It's revolting, mm. um, and a lot of the kind of Corbynite echo chambers, uh, these sort of rather sort of sad, <laughs> you know, politically marginal groups are now kind of talking to themselves. And, and it's 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 an unhealthy place to be yeah. because there's just so much poison and anger mm-hmm. and um, pent up um, you know righteousness, um, and uh, you just want to get out and breathe some fresh air. You know, uh, uh, the thing that the thing that kept buzzing in my head as I was doing this. You know, will I go to the next stage? Will I? Should I really? Do I? Is this really what I want to do? There's, there was. I think there's an American Supreme Court judge who said, "Only a fool litigates," and that phrase just kept <laughs> pinging around my yes, head. Yes. Um, was there ever a point where you thought, "Oh God, I'm not going to win this," or you thought, well, I, I, "I thought, uh, what have I done?" Well. But then I, you, I did, never, you wouldn't I, have worked again, you know, if you, did, if you wouldn't have been a big, brave I, well, guy well, to take this on. Well, once I, once I, you know, opened fire, I wasn't going to... No. I wasn't going to... You have to I keep going. I wasn't going to pull, pull no. back whatever, whatever happened. And defamation does turn into a sort of big boys poker game at, at some level, and, and it certainly did with me. Mm-hmm. Should we name okay. the Corbyn cheerleaders who use the media against you? Just actually name... These people. Well, there are so many, but um, the principal ones: Novara Media, mm-hmm. Aaron Bastani. There was a, a woman 
articles editor, I can't forget, in Charlotte somewhere, yeah. uh, who wrote a lot of nonsense. Um, there was a lecturer in journalism uh, called Dr. Justin Schlossberg. He was obsessed, I would say. I mean, uh, he just couldn't stop battering away. Um, there was, uh, more recently, there's been Al Jazeera, of course. Mm-hmm. Um uh, the former Telegraph mail commentator Peter Obel and, uh, now turned over to moved over to uh, Middle East Eye quite a quite a quite a change um, in Peter's uh, career I'd say um, and um, oh I don't know lots of others now here's a here's a great stat uh, Jewish Voice for Labour claimed that if you're Jewish you're mm. 6.2 times more likely to be accused of anti-Semitism than if you're not Jewish. I wonder how you'd measure that. Is that really true? I can tell you from anecdotal evidence, mm. I have I have never been called an anti-Semite. No. I've been called other things, but I've, I've, I can honestly well, tell you, no one has ever, even in jest, called me an anti-Semite. Well, to... to no. Well, to... <laughs> <coughs> um, yes, I mean, that claim needs unpacking. It, of course, on its... You know, and it's it's a very bare claim, and it's and, and claim. it's it's on its on its face is, is nonsense. But but what it actually, as I understand it, means there are over six times as many people who are Jewish, uh, who have been or are in the process of being disciplined for uh, matters relating to anti-Semitism. Now, that doesn't mean that they've said something which is anti-Semitic. Um, it, what it actually means in the vast majority of cases, this is as I understand it anyway from those dealing with the complaints, is that, and it, it applies mainly to Jewish Voice for Labour, of course it doesn't apply to uh, you know, mainstream uh, Jews in the Labour Party, it applies only to Jewish Voice for Labour, or mainly, almost exclusively, to those members who have chosen to uh, platform or in some way support yes. organisations like uh, Labour Against the Witch Hunt, yes. which have been whose purpose is to, to 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 belittle and diminish the idea of of, of anti-Semitism having been a problem in the Labour Party. That's a Starmer zero tolerance uh, decision. And um, near zero tolerance. Well, all right, near zero. Well, well. <laughs> how's he zero. doing? How's he doing on anti-Semitism? Yeah, I think he's. I think he's made the right calls yes. personally. He hasn't finished yet, though, has he? I mean, no, there's work to be done yeah. further downstream. Yeah, I, I think his front bench is is pretty decent now. Um, but certainly, there's there's the. I think there are remain problems within the party, but but it's it's in a better, much better shape than I would say that it yeah. was. To be fair, yeah. to Starmer, they're back under a stone, John. I, they're I not gone. I don't think they're under a stone. I think well, that's those... kind of what you do with anti-Semites. You can't yeah. you can't eradicate anti-Semitism. It's not possible. But what no, you can do is stick no. them back under a stone. No, well, it's kind of in the soil, as 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 one of my colleagues told yeah. me. So you have written in a number of op-eds and articles mm. in the intervening years about how the Corbynites are trying to rewrite history. Uh, this is what you regard as the Corbynites and their supporters mm. in the alt-media, I think, for want of a better word, seeing what they can do. And 
they persist in claiming that anti-Semitism has been exaggerated. Uh, they claim that the leaked Labour report vindicates Corbyn and his office and shows that Panorama's whistleblowers and officials in Labour's HQ were responsible for not dealing with the crisis. Mm. And these Corbynites still claim that the EHRC vindicated Corbyn and his office because it showed that most interventions by Corbyn's office were to speed up disciplinary action. But the EHRC report did actually not say that. Again, this is an example of them attempting to uh, re-quote, to reinvent uh, what's out there in black and white. You're right. The, the, there have been one or two members of, certainly I think, Mr. Corbyn's former, one of his speechwriters has said that it, it, it was mainly, it, to the extent that there was interference, it was, it was mainly about speeding up cases uh, rather than um, preventing action or, uh, uh, against you know, Corbyn's political allies. I, I, I may have missed it, but, but I, n- nowhere in the EHRC report can I find a finding that most interference related to uh, speeding up cases. Um, I mean, I may have missed it, but I have not found it. Um, There's a fellow called Richard Sanders who produced one of the Al Jazeera programs. He says the same thing. I don't know where he gets his um, evidence from. But what the EHRC does say, however... Uh, about about um, interference is that it was um, quotes extensive. Um, uh, it, it, at least it was more extensive than than um, uh, Corbyn's office interference by Corbyn's office in other disciplinary cases. And all I can say is that th- this has been one of the the areas of, of deep division, certainly between me and my critics. They persist in saying. Asserting that there was little or no interference, and they do rely on the leaked report to say that, uh, and they do rely on, uh, I think, uh, the more recent report by Martin Ford KC uh, to say that. Again, um, so far as the leaked report is concerned, it is an interesting document, but on interference, it completely avoids the evidence. Mm. Uh, that he's staring them in the face sometimes about interference. As far as Martin Ford is concerned, he does find that uh, there was interference. He finds that it wasn't... uh, From the documents he's seen, he says, he doesn't believe that interference was systemic, but he does find it was most notably, most notably, I think are his words, in relation to Corbyn's own allies. Mm -hmm. But he also finds the evidence that's been given to him by officials from Low Party HQ is that so much of the um, attempts by Corbyn's office to interfere were verbal, not written down. Mm. And therefore he, he can't reach a finding on that because there's no documentation. But I have certainly seen very detailed submissions which haven't been published to the EHRC from officials which I would regard as very credible. I do regard them as very credible. I know even people in Corbyn's office regard them as credible. Whatever they may say about other officials in the, in the, in the, in the Nickel era, where this individual talks about there being 
a significant number of attempts to to uh, to interfere with with disciplinary matters. There is one case above all, which the Corbynites, or at least my critics, I would I should say, uh, fasten on, which which they claim demonstrate that Corbyn's office was trying to speed things along, and that relates to Mr. Corbyn's closest ally, Ken Livingstone. Honestly, the evidence shows totally the opposite. Mm. They are relying on one attempt by a decent soul in Corbyn's office, one Laura Murray, who I think was genuinely trying to improve things. And Laura Murray did get on to the officials and say, what's happening with Ken Livingston? You know, can we get on with, you know, the Jewish community are very concerned that there appears to be a delay. However, the critical decision was taken, or attempt, was taken by Corbyn himself. This has not been published officially, but I've seen the evidence, and I've put it to Corbyn, and he has not denied it. And the evidence is that um, shortly before he was due to appear before uh, the first stage of the disciplinary process, um, this is in relation to him repeating his uh, offensive comments about Hitler... Mm. Um, about German Zionists collaborating with Nazis and so on. Shortly before he was due to uh, appear before the um, disputes panel of the NEC, uh, a very senior member, a senior member of the governance team, get a call from uh, Corbyn's, two of Corbyn's closest aides, um, Carrie Murphy, his chief of staff, and Seamus Milne. And they want to explore on behalf of Jeremy himself, what could, is there anything you can do for Ken? Ken's very important to Jeremy. You know, he's very important to the left. And essentially the message was, you know, can we get this to go away in some way? Now the officials said no in the end, and that was ultimately why Ken Livingston resigned. But there was an attempt by his office to get these charges, I don't, you know, dropped, finessed yeah. away. Yeah, that is interference. No question. It now continues. It goes on, mm. John. In September of 2022, the Qatari state-owned Al Jazeera news channel transmitted a four-part series called "The Labour Files," and at its heart was the assertion, and again, we've heard this before, that Jeremy Corbyn was undermined by a smear campaign orchestrated by the right-wing in Labour and that the scale of Labour anti-Semitism was exaggerated and the focus on anti-Semitism had actually created a hierarchy of racism within Labour that actually discriminated further against black, Asian and Muslim members. John, what do you think of that? Well, I, I should, from the outset, declare an interest when I talk about Al Jazeera. They were very critical of Panorama. Um, but that said, I think their approach uh, to uh, journalism is, uh, to, to, in this case anyway, is, is quite problematic, actually. There's a case, for, for example, in two sections uh, in Programme 1 on a young uh, Labour Party activist called Luke Stanger, activist in the sense that he was active against anti-Semitism. Uh, now, Stanger, they portray Stanger essentially as a sort of uh, high-level operative, essentially part of a conspiracy to undermine Corbyn and take over Labour, um, uh, someone who mercilessly 
uh, harassed anti-Zionists and also uh, who was engaged in sending death threats to one anti-Zionist. I've looked at this in some depth because um, Stanger has been grievously hurt by these allegations. And, you know, I've done quite a lot of stuff on miscarriages of justice and you get a sense and I used to present the BBC's Rough Justice series and uh, you know you get a sense of when people are genuine and when they're not and I've talked at length to Stanger I think he's a credible individual he acknowledges that many of his attacks on anti-Zionists were overly belligerent but that is really where the uh, truth of this story in my view ends so far as the way Al Jazeera did. What Al Jazeera doesn't do, there are a number, there are several key omissions. If this subject had been approached in a, in a sort of conventional mainstream way, mm. you'd have put both sides of the story on the table. And when you do that, a very different story emerges. And I'll give you an example. Al Jazeera focus only on Stanger's attacks on, anti- on anti-Zionists. There is nothing about the attacks that the anti-Zionists made on Stanger. Nothing at all. And that is significant because the attacks that they launched on Stanger were venomous. Yes. I mean, really venomous. Visceral. Personally, visceral. You know, he was... Uh, you know, he was, a, he, was a, he was an imbecile. He was a village idiot. Uh, there was a kind of an attempt to portray him as some sort of you know, sexual predator. They turned this idea of um, his abuse, alleged abuse against them by criticising their anti-Zionism as an abuser of women. There was a reference, I think, to Saville. Um, I wouldn't want him near my children. They nicknamed him Lurky. You get get it? It was all very smeary stuff. Horrible. And he's a young lad. These are mainly late middle-aged critics he's a young lad you know he was recently out of university he had a lot of he had a lot of mental uh, health issues he was an anxious fellow he suffered from depression very bright boy but you know they were they were just cruel you know cruel that's the first point you didn't get any of that in the in Al Jazeera but going on to the death threat point in a way more serious charge that yes. Al Jazeera make against Luke Stanger is that he was in, he was involved in uh, sending death threats to this anti-Zionist campaigner. Now, this anti-Zionist campaigner is, in fact, turns out to be a, 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 a barrister who's, who's been disbarred for, for dishonesty. He also uh, has got a dreadful um, record, uh, in my view, of... Um, he, he's, he's also tweeted some really hateful stuff... Um, yeah. You know, gratuitously uh, offensive about the state of Israel and Zionists. Zionists worked hand in hand with Nazis to send these innocent Jews to their death. Zionists then worked to establish the racist state of Israel. Um, here's another one. Jimmy Savile was an Israeli supporter and a devout Zionist. Zionists wallow in victimhood to justify their brutality. Nazis did the same following World War II and so on. I mean, this is just gratuitous stuff. This is beyond legitimate criticism of Zionism, if you want to criticise it. It's just gratuitously offensive. There is absolutely no evidence at all, 
and I've looked at this quite carefully, that Luke Stanger was in any way was involved in sending death threats to this ex this this barred barrister. In a way worse, this issue had been looked at by the Labour Party disciplinary team and Stanger had made it perfectly clear that he wasn't involved and not only that, that he totally, even though he objected to, you know, very strongly to this individual's um, anti-Semitic tweets, obviously, he would never have engaged in sending death threats to this Mm. individual Mm. and he regarded them as horrible, which indeed they were. Now, Al Jazeera insists, claims that it has access to the Labour Party's disciplinary files. And my problem with Al Jazeera is, is if, if that is the case, they would have had access to Stanger's categorical denial of any involvement in this case. And they should have reported that, that he denied it. But there is no denial of it in the programme. And I'm simply saying that if and as I say, there are lots of parts of the programme that Al Jazeera's claims that I can't talk about because I'm not aware. But if this is any guide to their approach, to their you know, standards applied to making this programme, then I think it raises a lot of questions. I really do. And um, I, I'm not a lawyer, but I think Stangham might well have a defamation case against uh, Al Jazeera, frankly. As someone who's just emerged from that, would you recommend it for him? Well, that's, you know, that's another matter. I mean, he, um, it's, you know, I, I'm not sure. John, the purpose of the podcast today was to set the record straight, to record at the end of this very difficult chapter in your life a vindication that you were confident about at the beginning. Mm. And to quote Martin Luther King to remind us that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice to those people, both Jewish and non-Jewish, who fought uh, Corbyn and his cheerleaders, that it is worth it. it. It is a difficult road. And from myself and all our listeners here at Johnny Gould's Jewish State, thank you very much for all that you've done. Well, okay, Johnny, th- thank you. But, you know, it's, it's not just about me. It, it was also about trying to set the record straight about the genuine discomfort and anxiety uh, experienced by many Jewish members of the party as a consequence of a noxious atmosphere that had seeped in to the party and which, you know, most of us thought could never happen in any British political party uh, for very obvious historical reasons. So... Sure, obviously, I'm pleased to be vindicated and, you know, getting a judgment from a judge because that's what I wanted. I mean, these allegations about me and about the programme, about the BBC, came so thick and so fast. You could rebut them until the cows came home. No one, it made no difference, none. So I thought, well, okay, we'll do this in court. We'll do it in front of a judge, see how we get on. And I got a great judgment from a judge. And, you know, that was that was terrific. It's, it's, a, it's a great feeling. And, you know, I, I don't think my critics will think I've been vindicated at all. But in the eyes of most reasonable people, you know, I have been vindicated. So that's good enough for me. 
the best guests and their most heartfelt views, a relay of their missions to a worldwide audience. Hi, it's Johnny again, just popping in at the end of this one. 100 episodes along, and I'm proud that it's fast become the podcast of record. This is coverage of the Jewish and Israeli worlds that just doesn't get properly aired in mass media, and I'm not ashamed to ask for your help. A one-off donation is always gratefully received to support my efforts, but a monthly donation really gets our service off the ground. Your donation can also be made with gift aid, and it's so easy to do. Just click on this, donorbox.org slash jgpodcast. That's donorbox.org slash jgpodcast. Are you in? Please share my series with your friends, and thank you for listening. Johnny Gould's Jewish State is supported by UK Teremet, promoting philanthropy.